should winning organizations do? The Houston Texans have decided to let ego, to let emotion, to let feelings get in the way of fielding the best team possible. Justin Reed was a professional, and as the leader of the team, he answered a question that was asked of him. Now he won't suit up. This is one of the best players on the team, a player that sacrificed much for the Houston Texans. Now he's repaid by not getting his helmet because he was honest. Welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast, talking your Houston Texans straight from the Great British Isles, just back or travelling from Houston, so got a bit of an express edition this week as we look back on what was kind of a strange weekend, it kind of crystallised many things I've thought about this team for the last while and, and it gave you a lot to take away and kind of consider uh, you know, about where this franchise is and it was a tough loss as the Texans dropped the game 21-14 to against the Jets. A game which you probably would have expected them to win, in all honesty, and I think many people would have said that, but it wasn't to be. Um, and, you know, a rather tepid second-half performance didn't put a point on the board. So when that's the case, you've not got much chance of winning in this league, regardless who your opposition is, despite a Jets team that looked more than there for the taking, but there you go. Um, and I suppose the team was, was rocked, pre-game or certainly it was the news rocked many of us as we we're sort of preparing to make our way inside the in the stadium but the, the news of Justin Reed being suspended never not suspended probably not the right phrase but certainly held out the game uh for an internal discipline issue and I think that was it was odd when you thought about the context of who the guy is and what he's done for the team when you see him speak in front of the media it's hard to think that you know, this guy, whatever his dispute was, um, and it went right to Ryan Clark of ESPN, who then was quite clearly fed that from the Justin Reed camp that they put out there. The fact that, you know, they weren't happy about what happened. They'd taken his helmet from him. It was the phrase used. And it said a number of things. I think it says a number of things about the organisation and, and the, considering the guy it is, I don't necessarily see how you follow it with Justin Reed because surely his intentions are about getting better, about being better on defence and, and executing on a Sunday. So for him, for them to kind of take that out on Justin Reed and do it in a very public manner um, seems unnecessary. And I don't see why this team wants to attract any negative publicity that they've already had or continue to have because they've got enough of it. <laughs> and to fall out with a guy like that um, seems odd on the face of it. But I think, you know, for a long time now, everybody's been of the opinion that... He's played his last season in Houston, uh, which probably shouldn't be the case. And injuries have played a big part in that, right? But Justin Reed has a good future in the game if he can stay healthy. He's probably not been used correctly in a scheme here uh, that suits him. Um, so I think there'll be a home out there for him in the league. Um, but the way it was put to me was that, you know, the as his agent would do, going into the final year of his contract, um, checked him with the organisation, and it was described to me as there wasn't enough interest there to, to go forward with any level of negotiation to try and um, put a contract in place for him to make him a Texan you know, for another three or four year stretch. So, yeah, Justin Reed has probably played his last game, perhaps, uh, but he'll definitely play his last season in Houston unless something dramatically turns um, in the front office. But, yeah, I mean, you know, stranger things have happened. But the fact that he then came out so publicly through Ryan Clark, through Mark Berman, um, and gave a direct quote about a team 
issue that they were trying to keep internal then forces David Cully to get him more comfortable and describe it as bigger than a disagreement. Um, when he gets to that stage, that's things are, are are very frayed under the surface, and I think unfortunately, uh, Justin Reed is uh, on his way out of town. But um, it'll be a, a bit of a loss. But um, as I said, the, the guy's probably not realised his potential, not through wholly um, all fault of his own. But there you go, Justin Reed suspended for <laughs> for a game that uh, the Texans could have used them, uh, but our problems are not on defence. <laughs> Our problems are firmly on offense, and I think that's that's you know blatant from the film on Sunday. Not putting a point up in the second half is not acceptable in this league. It's not acceptable for any pro team. It's not acceptable for a high school team to do that. Um, I suppose the big change before the game, Gary Christian drops out, and Titus Howard is out there at left tackle. Oh, the irony of that all seems kind of odd. When you've had him start his career at left guard for a couple of games, then you kicked him to right tackle. He played a right tackle last season, albeit he's been injured. He's not played a full 17 games. Hopefully, touch with you know, the guy's going to be healthy and put a 17-game slate together and give him the experience that he requires. But you've now played him at, at two different positions at the opposite side of the five that he did last year. Um, now, I suppose, why do you make that move? Is that because the team have won a test out there and have... I've maybe had some conversations or I've got some inkling that they can move on from Laramie Tunsil. Now, I'd welcome that. I think everybody would know that that's my opinion, that yeah, it was, it was a bad investment. You want to cut your losses there. Um, and that's nothing to say about you know Tunsil's... Um, his pass protection is, is undisputed. I think that's not the... that's what no, Nobody could question that. I think you're, you're questioning perhaps the guy and the, the big trade that he came over. He probably thought he was coming to a win-now situation. That's flipped on its head very, very quickly. And he's had a minor hand injury this week, or for the last four or five weeks, but shows very limited signs of returning to the field. And some of Cully's quotes around that point were very awkward. So you've got to think that perhaps there's a, there's definitely a... There's maybe some rumblings there that, that that relationship may well also end as well. And I think we'll probably see this off-season being tra- another one of transition. But why do you move Titus out there to left tackle when you've already traded two firsts and a second for a guy who's meant to be, you know, 15-year, you know, the defence of that move is a 15-year investment. It certainly doesn't seem like that if you're putting him out there at left tackle. Now, if you want to if you, if you want to bring Corey Lindsay back in and get him to play some games, then fine, get yeah, I mean, he's played a lot in this league. He's got some pelts on the wall, particularly with Green Bay and uh, familiarity with James Camden, the offensive line coach. So if that is the case, then fine. Uh, but kick him out to right, right uh, tackle because probably the weakest link after Justin McCray, obviously, Jimmy Morris didn't have a great game, but Charlie Heck on, on the right tackle didn't, didn't cover himself too well. Now, like he's been admirable, uh, but you know if you've got aspirations to be a good quality football team, Charlie Heck probably isn't on the right tackle um, starting on your football team. Swing guy at best uh, for my money. So an interesting move, um, but you know again just small snippets of this team is moving towards the future. So. Another another point just to to keep a note on, but the the struggles were in the offense, um, you know, and I think there was no more personified by get a short field position. The special teams back them up, the defense get a three and out, the offense get the the ball around about the the, the Jets forty yard line. It's all there to play for. Um, terrible run play that gets blown up. Tyrod drops the ball. And then on the third down, Tyrell just doesn't let the play develop enough. Brandon Cooks is going in deep. There's no pressure in his face. He can just let the play develop and drop it into the near the pile on the end zone. You've got a six there at a time you desperately needed points. And after that, you kind of knew. I mean, in the whole second half, 
um, just just wasn't there. And I think the Tim Kelly play calling is all on him. You know, I think obviously the you know I think if you think of who's been mentored by, um, I won't say his name because I'm sick of talking about him. But if you think of his previous mentor and who he's learnt this offense from and who created you know this offense that we're still running now, the big problem is we can't see the blitz. Uh, we can't field it. We don't make the checks. We don't cut off routes. We don't, you know, identify the hot, the line of scrimmage, and just find easy yards. And it's not necessarily the biggest thing in the world um, on all time. But when off, when your offense continually becomes unstuck by teams blitzing you at the line of scrimmage, and then ultimately it's not good enough uh, to to be a productive offense and move the chains consistently to give yourself a chance in offense. You only get one turnover in defense this week, then your offense is not enough to um, to survive in, in a pointless second half literally and numerically uh, was, was the case. But so I think when you, when you think of, with that, we've just watched the same struggles over and over again, no changes, no iterations, no development of the scheme. And I'll be glad to see the back of it because I do firmly think Tim Kelly will go. I think it was, a, it was an odd match to bring him back to try and appease Watson or whatever you want to call it. And I think in some ways he deserved it. Um, in some ways he probably didn't uh, but I think you've seen this season the run game still continues to be putrid they moved early reasonably well with a bit of power plays pulling the guards around um, and, the t- and uh, particularly Justin McCray you know, blocked a couple of holes in there but uh, you know, I think the biggest play of the day was that they were expecting the pass and you caught them out in a three man rush and that was one of your bigger run plays of the game and look there was a couple of plays in there but I thought Tim Kelly showed some some great uh, some great ingenuity and I think he's got potential a play call there was one where Brandon Cooks was in the backfield and then quickly flexed out um, Rex Burkett who ran across the formation got a good matchup against a safety that he liked and that's probably one of our better plays of the day so there was nice snippets of that and that on that drive was where the uh, where Tyrod just overthrew Nico in the back of the end zone, gutted for Nico not to get his first touchdown because it'd be good for him to get that, just build a bit of confidence. But he missed him. And then a couple of plays later, we go back to the back to the board. That Yankee concept: two crossers up up the top right hand of, of the formation, uh, and uh, and Tyrod hits hits uh, and hit, hit, missed missed Nico in that sense. And then on the play again, I thought it was on the touchdown play, which was the best highlight real play of the day, um, was for. For the for the offense was Brevin Jordan again. We're drawing some attention, so I think that gives uh, gives you some some uh, credibility to see that other teams are accounting for him. The safety then comes down. He flexes off at the line of scrimmage initially. Comes back off the play, draws the safety, and uh, and then that gives Brandon Cooks a match up one on one. And most of the guys against Bryce Hall on this occasion, number thirty seven, just come in the draft last year for the Jets, but beats him in behind. Um, nice catch. Goes to ground, completing six points on the board. So at that point, you thought 14-3, this team had a chance. Uh, but I think the biggest issue, I think, for this team is that the the, the, the Jets continue to move the ball on the ground. Um, and that's going to be a big, big challenge against the Colts this week because you've seen, you know, infamously, Jonathan Taylor picked a couple of picks later than Ross Blackhawk, who had a day to forget and has regressed after, you know, unfortunately after having probably one of his better games. As a pro, not hard, but um, certainly it was a bit more of a, a, a prouder performance from from the former TCU man at defensive tackle. Uh, but yeah, the guy who was picked a couple of picks after was going to come into town and they're going to run it down your neck. And uh, the Texans aren't probably going to be able to hold with that. I can't see um, because we can't stay on the field long enough on on offense ourselves. So if they come and dominate the time of possession, it's another defeat next week, and, and we'll see where this goes but um, certainly at the minute we're sitting looking at second overall draft pick that that head-to-head with the Jets 
now uh, will we'll push us you know, firmly into that second spot because I don't see us winning three games to overtake them. And then you've also got the, the probably the wild card for the remainder of the season right now is the Tennessee. They look rudderless uh, without Derek Henry. They've really struggled. So where they'll be, um, if they've not wrapped up, if they manage to scrape one or two wins, that's all they'll probably need to get in the playoffs at their final five games or six games that they've got left on the slate, then you know that might be a game where you could potentially win or not want to win in, in the last day of the season and, and lose out of spot. But I think it will come down to the Jacksonville game, whether we pick you know, between second or fourth. And that, you know, we would in contention to get a good player. Um, but this team definitely needs it. And I, I think, you know, would you all, you know, the philosophy for me would be if you're going to pick it high in the draft, you either get your quarterback, most important position, you build up your two lines or you always go defence because you can find offensive players at skill positions later in the draft. That's been proven year on year on year. So you want to really be looking at you know defensive players. I've said for a long time, uh, since we did the podcast with Jordan a couple of weeks ago, that I think Kyle Hamilton, for me, is, is the guy you pick out of Notre Dame and um, he could impact your play, the, the play of your defence on... On every on on every matchup, you know, I think people are high on Aiden Hutchinson right now as it starts to get flashed out in the media. As the college games and are starting to dissipate now in the end of the schedule, so it's all it's all kind of pro stuff here from here on in. Apart from the the playoff uh, stuff, which Notre Dame may or may not be in, depending on how this final week goes um, in terms of that committee approach that picks those picks those final final four spots uh, for the college playoff but there'll be a bowl game to be had likely big players are going to drop out the bowl game again that trend will continue but so you've probably got all the tape now that you're going to get on these guys going to dig into some more but for me I'm Kyle Hamilton to be convinced otherwise it should be the best pick for uh, the, the Texans now will he change his defence absolutely not but I think we've got some guys up front that are interested I think Malik Collins he may or may have not played his way out of town right now and that's, that's something we just need to consider that interior rushers there's not many of them out there there's not one on every team, albeit the Jets kind of gave us some some troubles there with a couple of guys. But you know that's rare to have that that part of your team kind of fixed. It's more kind of uh, Roy Lopez style um, run stuffers and kind of <clears throat> multi block guys that can consume attention to the line of scrimmage. So, but I think the league comes as a chance to to potentially get yourself a bigger deal than may well be offered here, or it would make sense for the team to offer him here um, as an interior rusher and impacting the game the way he has, but continued to be impressed by him. Uh, I think Jacob Martin flashed again, had one sack, was lost another. There was a strip uh, fumble um, that came out. There was two big turnovers in the game. The strip sack, Lopez should have jumped upon it, went out. Jonathan Greenard had another great game, I think, as well, where, the, where, he, where he, uh, he came in with a late, a late hit on, on uh, Zach Wilson and Gruger Hill should have had it again. Gruger Hill getting into the backfield. He makes highlight plays. Um, I think he's continued to be a guy at the right price you bring back. Um, and Jacob Martin, difficult evaluation, um, starts starts off hot in games and fades out um, and could be a liability in the wrong game. But I think if the money's right, you bring him back. So overall, on that defensive front, there is a number of pieces there that I think you can bring back and have some foundation or some or, or some signs of life in a, in a pro-style setting uh, that those guys can go and co- contribute on a Sunday. So the defence needs to be built upon, but if you had one of these big rushers, if it was one of those top two guys, um, or a guy like Kyle Hamilton, then you know this team is going to be in a better place. But I can't wait till the day we've got a new scheme uh, to to go and enjoy because it's been tough watching the same shit every week, um, not being able to handle the blitz and all that kind of stuff. And Kelly's future is up for debate right now, um, but I think he'll be gone. I can't see any value in that. If you're not going to gut this coaching staff, then bring bring back Pep Hamilton and then increase his role in this offense. 
Yeah, just some observations from generally from the weekend there, I think, in terms of what it was like to be in our G Stadium. I've heard multiple people, including John McLean, say that's the least fans I've ever seen inside the stadium. The atmosphere was muted at best uh, because people know where this team is, and I get that. Uh, but there's been two and 14 seasons, albeit those seasons have been underachieving rather than having a bad team in achieving roughly where about you thought the talent on the roster would be. Um, you know, with less than a handful of wins to probably show for it after all said and done. But yeah, it was kind of tough, to, tough to take, and it's going to be a long, long road back. And I think you're looking at another two seasons before you rebuild this. And you, not only do you rebuild the talent of your roster, if that can then translate some confidence into the people uh, that are going to go and buy these tickets across Houston and, and the wider areas, then will people come back and, and and come and flock back to that stadium? But you see it, you could see it so visibly, um, albeit a holiday weekend, people are out of town. Uh, there was also a lot of people back in town uh, for the for the holiday season after Thanksgiving, and to have that kind of that muted level at what is a celebratory time um, in 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 the calendar was kind of a bit jarring. The weather wasn't great; it was cold, it was wet, um, but there was certainly a lack of people uh, there. And I think that's just the it's manifesting uh, all the bad decisions that have been made. Um, no more so on the per- player personnel side. Uh, but we'll wait and see. You know, we talk about the Justin Reed kind of fallout and how he'll be out of town. So, you know, guys like Charles Amenehu and a long list of other people as well uh, that have you know that, that have left this building pretty quickly um, in the last while. Uh, then you know, there's definitely going to be more changes like that. And it's it's whether do they make the iterations in the front office to learn and consider some of the mistakes that have been made because this off season has, would have been a waste of time. This therefore the season has by, by definition also become a waste of time because we're not taking a huge amount out of it bar you know, a small a small one or two players. Now this rookie class is coming beyond Garrett Wallow. Look good, look potential there. Um, but there need more players around them, vets, but not you know, some veteran players that can come and, and teach and lead um, within the locker room, within the position meeting groups. But I think what you need is you need a, a solid base of players that can go and make this team competitive because the Jets are not in a good a good spot, but to lose in that way against a team like that, who shouldn't be all that far ahead of us when when all considered, uh, but perhaps Sunday was just a bit of a reminder where this team is, and I think, you know, as we said, sitting with the second overall pick as it stands, and it could, you know, be in that sort of two to four range, I don't think Detroit will suddenly win games, you know, stranger things have happened, it's been an odd season, but we're certainly trending towards that out uh, top end of the draft and get some premium talent. Obviously, the issue with Watson continues to rumble. There was some depositions reportedly taken this week of some of the victims. The 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 intimation was the fact that, that they'd struggled to uh, schedule in the depositions for Watson and his side of it. Um, why that would happen seems unclear, but uh, that continues to rumble on. So until that gets settled and teams can, and, and teams can feel comfortable about pulling the trigger on a trade, and then we can have a full bevy of picks. For this draft, then uh, you know it's it seems very bleak um, in some ways. Uh, I think Sunday for me was about a realization of how far it sunk when you see it live in front of your face because you know the broadcast broadcast angle was certainly close to, net, to the field. You didn't see much of the stand, and I think that's the broadcasters recognizing as a league that they don't want to see uh, empty stands because it doesn't scream great product, and that's what this sort of premier level of sports all about and the Texans unfortunately at this stage are miles off that pace um, it's been a it's been a topsy-turvy season uh, but the grey clouds as they were on Sunday continued to hang over the Houston Texans so a very quick rundown this week um, as I'm still doing a bit of travelling back we'll be back with a guest 
next week. Um, but don't lose the faith. I think that would be my message to everybody. Not in the Easter be sense, but in the sense of this team that the better days will come around. But it is going to take time, so strap yourself and prepare yourself. Hopefully we can try and help you out a little each and every week. If you've not checked out the website, podcasttexans.com, please leave us a review. If you're watching on Facebook or YouTube, give us a like, um, share it, all that good stuff. Let it get out there a little bit. Um, but great to be back in Houston over the weekend. Um, a shame about this team in many ways and a shame about the result, but look, we're here. I'm going to stick with it and uh, the brighter days will come around again. But uh, thanks again for listening and we'll speak to you again next week.